Welcome to another podcast of stories and innovations in ALS with Lisa Deegan and I'm McFinn LeVere at everythingals.org. Welcome to Stories and Innovations in ALS, episode number 15, Passion, Perseverance, and Advocacy. My name is Lisa Deegan. I'm joined today with McFinn LeVere. We're storytellers who've both been affected by ALS. Our mission is to share the stories of those also affected and the efforts of those who are investigating and innovating to find a cure for this devastating disease. We are part of an organization called everythingals.org whose mission is care to cure with the ultimate goal of accelerating treatments for ALS. Today, we are excited to have the opportunity to talk with Austin Edie Friedman, who just so happens to be the newest member of the Everything ALS team. So we're so excited to have him on board and to have the opportunity to talk with him today. Austin, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, uh, Lisa and McFinn. I'm so thrilled to be here and to, to be joining the Everything ALS team. Wonderful, Austin. Thank you for joining us because the more pieces of the puzzle that get together, the answer will come quicker. So tell me, how did your journey begin with ALS? Yeah, so, um, you know, certainly don't have any family history. So when I did uh, receive my ultimate diagnosis, it was a complete and utter shock, as it is uh, with everybody who is diagnosed with ALS. Um, my journey uh, with the disease really began in January of 2019. Um, I had just taken on a new job uh, at a biotech company in Boston, had just moved there from New York. Um, I had spent the last year uh, previous to that um, um, focused on improving my health. Uh, I stopped drinking. I started exercising um, pretty, pretty intensely. I was going to the gym, lifting weights, uh, training and, and shaping my, my mind and my soul. Um, so, so that was very important to me along with the work that I was doing. Um, and I noticed very early in January, after I had already moved to Boston, uh, uh, one of those crisp um, uh, winter days up uh, on the East Coast, uh, I decided to go out for a run. And, um, you know, started out, there no, were no issues. About a mile into my run, I noticed that there was a, uh, a slight weakness in my left knee. Um, and I, I, it, it got so weak that um, I couldn't actually finish the run. So started and stopped multiple times, um, you know, didn't think anything of it. Maybe I was fatigued. The move was a very intense one. I had just started a new job. Um, so, uh, you know, ignored it and um, walked home. Um, you know, this, this persisted uh, for the coming weeks and months. Um, I got to the point where I was still exercising uh, quite vigorously, but um, was not doing it outside anymore. I needed to uh, slowly move to the treadmill. And then on the treadmill, I needed to go from running to walking. And then um, couldn't even really walk on the treadmill anymore um, for, for more than you know uh, 10 or so minutes um, and, and transitioned to the elliptical. And uh, the weakness um, continued. Um, 
So getting to about um, July uh, of that year. And um, you I, have not seen a doctor at this point? I had not seen a doctor about this at this point. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did um, you think, oh, it's a, like everybody I, I thought it was fatigue. I, I thought that, you know, there, there was, you know, just some stiffness in my knee. Um, you know, didn't, didn't think it was really all that, that crazy, you know, had some knee problems in my family. Um, not that that's genetic, but, uh, you know, uh, necessarily, but I thought, you know, it could just be that. Um, but in, in July, I started falling. Um, you know, I developed, um, what I didn't know at the time, uh, to be a foot drop. And so inexplicably, I'd be walking down the street and I would just trip and, you know, I, I've never been the most graceful person in the world, so that that didn't didn't seem to to seem you know that that crazy to me. Um, but the 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 uh, frequency increased, and so that's when I decided it was time to see a doctor. Um, you know, went to my doctor. Uh, they ordered a bunch of tests. Um, you know, did a, a basic neurological exam and didn't seem to think that anything was uh, out of the realm of, uh, of, of normal, normal health. Um, but it persisted. Um, so um, I was actually referred to a physical therapist because we thought, you know, maybe it's, uh, um, you know, right, you know, must, must, must um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, um, skeletal, muscular skeletal. Um, and so, you know, went to four or five sessions with the physical therapist and he, he noticed that I was continuing to decline. I was getting weaker. Um, the exercises that we had started uh, were doing very little. And what is the time frame that we're looking at from the first day of running where your knee was starting to act up to this getting on board with the physical therapist? So I would say, I would say uh, January to July, and I was going consistently okay. uh, once a week to the physical therapist uh, throughout July and August. Um, and then at the end of August, the physical therapist said to me, you know, what we're doing here is not working. Mm -hmm. um, I really do think that you either need to go back to your doctor or you need to go and see a neurologist. I think that this could be neurological. Um, so um, that uh, uh, started the, the next phase of the journey, which um, is, you know, was trying to get a referral to a neurologist, trying to get into a, one of the clinics in, in Boston and hitting roadblocks uh, all along the way. You know, I, I called MGH because I knew that they had a, a world-class um, neurology practice. And I was told that it was going to be between six and eight weeks before they could get me in to see somebody. Whoa. Did you have um, medical insurance, Austin? I, I had, I had a very good um, health care through my employer. So, um, yes. Okay. And uh, how is your job playing into all this? So you say you got a new job. What, what is it that you were doing work-wise? Were you allowed to work with your condition? Not knowing what it was. I, I, it was an office-based job. I, I'm a... Um, uh, by trade, a human resources professional. Okay. So uh, an internal consultant at the biotech company advising leaders on um, essentially human uh, capital strategy. Um, so that, not, that was not an issue, you know, flexible employer. 
in the healthcare industry could take the time that I needed to, to go and take care of my, my health. Um, That's nice. Which, which is great, which is great. Uh, always good to have an employer who um, gives you that flexibility. Um, so, so um, you know, the, the, six, the, the six to eight week timeframe wasn't gonna work to me, for me. So um, I went back to my primary care uh, doctor and um, asked him to see if there was another option. And so he was able to refer me to a community neurologist at a, a local hospital outside of Boston. Um, and I still had to wait three or so weeks to see her and got in um, second week of December in 2019. So again, January to second week of December. Um, over the course of that first appointment and the, the next uh, subsequent week, um, she ordered uh, you know, a, a, an inordinate number of tests, blood tests, um, EMG, uh, all sorts of, um, of, of tests because I, I, I know she knew something was wrong, um, something wasn't right. Uh, you know, I, I also continued to fall over those periods of time. So I got, it was at, it was at the point where um, I had to, I, I previously had walked to work. I had to take an Uber to work uh, pretty much on a daily basis, even though I was under a mile from my, I lived under a mile from my office. Isn't it amazing how just hearing your story, how we adapt as humans to whatever is given. And sometimes we don't listen to those messages. We just think, oh, I'm going to keep running because my knee hurts. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I guess I'll now just use a cane or I'll take Uber or I'll, I mean, these are, your story is so familiar because my brother who passed away from ALS, he was so healthy at the time that he came down with this. He had stopped drinking for the past year. He was lifting weights. He was working out vigorously. And then all of a sudden, and he thought he had a pinched nerve. So yeah. I'm hearing well, well, a lot I of things. I that when, story. you know, you're, you're 35, that doesn't even enter into the equation. Oh. I mean, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, you know, my I, brother know was in his that. 40s and it didn't register. Right. We know that young people can develop ALS because we've experienced it. But I, I don't think the vast majority of the population is even aware of that. It's it's viewed as a old person's condition. A hundred percent. How did the uh -oh. new doctor deliver the diagnosis to you? So um, uh, after my EMG, um, I was in an Uber on the way back home and I received a call from the neurologist and she said, you know, Austin, uh, I don't have your official results, but I've seen the preliminary readout and I am very concerned. Um, I don't know what it is, um, but what I would suggest that you do is um, go home and um, do whatever you need to do and then go to the emergency room. I really do want you to get this checked out and take this seriously. Um, emergency course, room. The emergency room. Well, you have to understand, um, we were right before a, um, I think it was uh, Yom Kippur weekend or Rosh Hashanah weekend. And so I think she was concerned that I wasn't gonna be able to get in to see a specialist um, as soon as possible. So um, referring me to the emergency room at MGH, I think that that was a strategic move on her. Got it. 
he yeah. knew that if I were to get some sort of diagnosis there, that would, in, in essence, let me jump the line at MGH and get in to see a specialist. Okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. So um, went to the emergency room um, with, my, with my husband, uh, Billy, and um, we were there for, um, for essentially 48 hours. Um, uh, you know, conducted all of the tests again. I saw pretty much every um, physician um, imaginable uh, across the spectrum of different specialties. Mm -hmm. um, went and got a uh, MRI. Um, they did the EMG again because they weren't able to get those results from the community neurologist. Um, and you know, about halfway through that period, in the middle of the emergency room, I was sitting on a um, on a on a bed that was wheeled into the middle of the floor. Uh, my husband was sitting in a chair next to the bed. Um, the entire team of neurologists um, stopped by, and um, you know, uh, basically said, you know, we're we're very concerned. This is what we've been observing. There are still some tests that we need to conduct. Here's what we want to do. Uh, sit tight. And I said um, to him at that point, to them at that point, um, you know, doctor, I, I really would want to know, um, like, what is it? What is it that we're thinking that this might be? Um, you haven't heard the three letters yet. Whether it was you googling, no. or somebody mentioned. Well, it. well, listen. I so so. Let me take a step back. Uh, while this was all happening to me, when you know the physical therapist was concerned, you know, expressing concern, uh, you know, I started Googling, you know, neuromuscular conditions. And, uh, you know, of course I came across MS and ALS and I was like, it can, there's absolutely yeah, there's no, no way. way, not me. Yeah, not me. If it's anything, maybe it's MS, you know, um, that could be the, the best possible solution here. Mm -hmm. And um, which, you know, when you say it, that's a shocking thing in this day. Um, but um, so, so fast forward back to the emergency room, um, you, you know, the, the attending um, neurologist said to me, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm really thinking that this could be ALS. He said this to me in front of eight different neurologists in the middle of the emergency room, and I just lost it. I started shaking and sobbing. Uh, uncontrollably, yeah. um, and it really did. It took me about an hour to calm down. Not what you um, want to do. You know, after, yeah, it's it's not. And to hear it in that way yeah. after not sleeping in the middle of a, a, a an emergency room, uh, just just think of all of the the pressures and the stress that uh, an individual would be under under those situations uh, under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you, you know, we still hadn't confirmed it uh, pretty much when we did the EMG again, they knew that that's what it was. Um, so the end of uh, day two, um, you know, took me into that dreaded room behind the, um, behind the, the emergency department and, um, confirmed that it was indeed ALS. Um, and, and what I was told, um, is that somebody from the clinic would be calling me, um, they didn't have any information that they could share with me mm -hmm. um, that I should just go home and not Google the condition because, you know, it might, um, it might uh, put me into a panic. And I was like, I, I, like I, I was in a complete fog. I was like, I, I don't even know like how I'm supposed to process this information. 
and yeah. and that's a that's a whole that's a whole episode in itself because <laughs> that is such a journey as I know because I went through this with my brother. So we would love for you to share, Austin. Um, you know, since clearly you're diagnosed at this point, share with us like how moving forward it's challenged you. What what's been what what's been some of the hard things for you that you would uh, want to share with us? Absolutely, happy to do that. Um, you know, I'll start with you know timing of the diagnosis. I, I think I just explained to you how stressful that experience was, but yep. you know, I received the actual diagnosis two days before my 36th birthday. Oh. And so happy birthday to me. Um, what, a, what a wonderful birthday uh, um, present to receive. And, you know, qu quite frankly, I think psychologically, uh, you know, I'm a, a strong and driven individual, but to now every year on my birthday have to associate the condition that is robbing me of my physicality and my ability to, to be independent associated with my birthday. I mean, what a, what a really terrible experience to have to, to have to live with for the rest of my life. Austin, the exact same thing happened to my brother before his 44th birthday. It's so scary hearing the parallels and such a reminder. So I understand from the family perspective of and Austin, exactly what you're talking about. I, I went outside and uh, talked to my creator uh, six months before I got my diagnosis and asked, you know, my life is quite interesting. Uh, what do you have in store for me? And uh, a little bit more of a conversation, but six months later, I found myself in a wheelchair with a death sentence. So yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we appreciate everything that that you are going through because you, as I said before, you're holding the piece of puzzle for somebody else to answer a question. So tell us what, what do you think's missing from ALS therapy right now? Well, I, I think a, a, first of all, a cure. And I mean, I can't say that, you know, strongly enough. Um, um, you know, I, I think McFinn, you uh, are, are, are a very unique individual in that you've been able to reverse your condition. And I, I would love to talk to you at some point and understand uh, how that sort of transpired for you, because I, I'm sure it's a very um, uh, um, powerful story. But I, I don't think that most people get to experience that. I think despite the fact that, you know, you go on every supplement, you try to focus on um, 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 meditation and reducing stress in your life, it, it just doesn't seem to be enough for the vast majority of ALS patients. And so it, it, it's so critical that we continue to, 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 to focus um, primarily on ALS and other um, um, neurodegenerative diseases like it, because there's so much that we don't know about the brain, how these mechanisms work and, and why, you know, they even occur. Uh, so, so I, I think that's really what's missing. Um, and, and, and to, to tie it back to everything ALS, I think that that's what's so powerful about the work that we're doing here. The fact that we've prioritized identifying 
biomarkers. I'm, I'm trying to determine um, you know, what mechanisms within the body fail first, because that is really going to be the key to understanding how this condition starts, how it progresses. And, you know, we have to understand those pieces of it in order for us to find a meaningful, make meaningful therapy. Because quite yeah. frankly, up till this point, you know, the two, the two drugs that are on the market, Riazole and Radicava, I, I, I don't want to besmirch all of the hard work and the passion that went into developing those drugs, but they're garbage and they really don't do anything. And, you know, um, it's really been an exercise in shooting in the dark, right? Uh, uh, you know, we don't know how this disease starts um, short of the genetic, um, you know, mutation that is passed on. Um, and if we don't know how it starts, we don't know how to treat it. Well, over 90% of the ALS cases are sporadic, as you know, right. and it's an, it's a heterogeneous disease. It comes on different ways. It has different pathways. And so, yeah, we, we hope with what we're doing, we can find subgroups of people, you know, that are that are coming down with ALS and detecting it early, which will also lead to more tailored treatments for the different groups because it comes on differently and it, it progresses differently. Uh, or it comes on for different reasons, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, and, and, and agreed with that. And, and, and fur further to that, um, you know, what I would say is we, we also, and this is where I get so passionate about this. I, I, think, I think a lot of it stems from my experience working in pharmaceuticals and biotech. But, you know, we also have to drop, we have to break the drug development paradigm. Um, as well. And we, we have to pursue um, treatments, research solutions that, that, that um, you know, cannot and should not be bogged down in the bureaucracy and the, the, the paperwork that it takes to bring successful drugs to market. Agreed. Right. <laughs> now, how do we notes. do that? How do we do that? We do that through advocacy. We do that through lobbying. We do that through getting the word out there about this condition and how, how it, it wreaks havoc on not just the individual, but every person who touches that individual. Yeah, and we're hoping to break down some of those barriers by just the simple fact that we got our um, FDA IRB approved study done in like under six months, or maybe it was even four months, something crazy. And... Um, and we're, we're on the fast track and talking with the FDA to you know, get our biomarkers validated. I mean, this is only gonna help people like you or people who have not yet been diagnosed to get an earlier diagnosis because we think that's key actually catching it early. I mean, hearing your story took eight months, mm -hmm. but the good news about your story is once you got to a doctor, it didn't take long. Once you got to the a, a neurologist, it was pretty quick. So it, it was. that was positive that at least there are a lot of professionals and doctors that do know what they're doing with this. Because who knows if you don't have access to a great hospital like you did, what do other people do? Well, and, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, you know, we all, and I think we can fully acknowledge this, live in parts of the country where we have access to healthcare, world-class healthcare. 
Um, you know, I, I'm also very fortunate because I had insurance. You know, what do people who live in rural underserved areas who maybe don't have great insurance or don't have access to, to insurance at all do in these instances? And, 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 and I really do truly believe that as a society, we have an obligation to uh, provide that help and that guidance to everybody. I feel very strongly about that. Have you found any trials to enter for yourself? So, um, yes. Um, so aside from being on Ryazol and Radhakava, I think that's a pretty standard uh, combination. I'm taking a multitude of, um, of supplements, um, you know, and I think not to give medical advice, but um, many of them can be found on uh, ALS Untangled and the efficacy and the effectiveness of, of those treatments. I think, you know, with your, your doctor to determine if, if that'll work for you. Um, I was in the um, Alexion Ultimiris trial. Um, and unfortunately, um, in, in August, um, it was released that that did not meet its primary endpoint. So, so that was a, a study that was terminated. And that was a very disappointing. Um, but I, I, I do think that um, the, the, the data that will come out of that study will um, um, lend itself to a tremendous amount of understanding and um, uh, hopefully innovation uh, in, in, in the types of drugs that are being developed at this point in time. Um, the other drug that I just started um, off-label, of course, is um, uh, sodium phenyl, phenyl butrate. Um, and that is uh, that in conjunction with Tudka is uh, being studied cur currently in uh, the Amylex drug. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, doing that on my own, um, but we're hoping for uh, some positive results there. Um, and, and, you know, the data from the phase two clinical trial was, was quite compelling. So mm -hmm. fingers crossed that that will continue and, and, and uh, the data will show that that was uh, um, efficacious. Are you having any physical reactions from taking those two products? Um, no. Um, what I've what I've noticed is that I've continued to progress. I mean, essentially from uh, September of 2019 to today, um, you know, I've I've become a, a, a paraplegic. You know, I'm I'm relegated to a, um, a a wheelchair. I can't move my my arms or my legs. I need um, um, full time help from my husband to to really do pretty much anything, uh, you know, control my wheelchair with my head. Um, but what I will say um, is very positive. And, you know, we don't know what is happening. Um, but my voice and my breathing and my swallowing are incredibly strong. In fact, uh, last vital capacity, it was pretty much normal. So we have to hope yeah. That um, you know the the therapies that I'm on right now are are playing a, a role in in that. Well, I'm sure you hold on to the fact that yes, you have you've lost use of many things, but you have your voice and you can communicate. And I wanted to ask you, um, you know, it sounds like Billy is a great supporter of yours. Um, so if you could share, you know, 
if he's been a great champion for you or if you have other champions or mentors that have been able to carry you um, through this journey? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really would be remiss if I if I didn't mention, you know, the, the relationship uh, that I have with Billy and, and you know, the, the selflessness that really he's been able to, to demonstrate throughout this process. You know, this is, this is a, a condition that has robbed him too. And, you know, he really has had to put his, I, I, I don't mean he has had to put his life on hold, but he hasn't been able to pursue many of the things that he thought he would be able to in his life. Um, really to take care of me. Now, that being said, um, on top of being my full-time caregiver, being my best friend, you know, being my, my, my partner in life, uh, being the love of my life, um, he, he has also, I'm, I'm so proud of this, um, been able to successfully defend his thesis. So he got his PhD, PhD at the beginning of this year. Um, oh currently writing a book. Um, you know, he continues to uh, be able to focus on the things that are important to him professionally and, and personally. And, and I try my best to support him through that as, as, as well as I can. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So Billy sounds like a rock star. We'd love to meet him and talk to him at some point. Absolutely. I'll, um, you know, he, he tries to um, stay behind the scenes in these things. Um, but I'll, I'll try to convince him. I, I think it would be great for him to come and meet the team. When we, when somebody has ALS, it's the whole family has ALS. Yeah. So, thank you, Billy. Um, you know, the team teamwork is uh, just shows the humanness that each one of us has inside of us. Mm -hmm. That we really, if if we're being cared for, we are really grateful. If we're giving the care, we're really thankful. It's really a beautiful uh, ALS. They say ALS happens to really nice people. Well, uh, Austin, you and me, baby, we're really nice people. We want to see you out of that wheelchair one day. Um, everybody's uh, journey is different. And everybody's journey uh, brings, brings out the best in their friends because you really see them show up, care, because you have something that they're going to have one day, and that's possibly they'll be leaving the planet. And that is one thing that all of us so much have in common that we all better really be taking care of each other like we're all superheroes and we're all in love with each other because teamwork is the key being alone is misery and we are everything ALS and that's you know we came together because of a hard time for a lot of people and now we're staying together because we're having a good time feeling positive that we are making an imprint on all of you who need our help we are there so my friend is there anything else that you would like to share with us that comes from your heart? So, so I'll, I'll just um, reiterate what you've just said, McFinn. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you, when you experience something as awful as ALS, I think it, it truly makes you 
appreciate and focus on what is important in life. And at the end of the day, it's family, it's friends, it's love, and it's it's that human connection. And it, it's so critical. That's that's what keeps us going. That's what that's what um, you, you know forces us to focus on finding a cure for this condition. And and that's what also you know compels us to share our stories because we want to make sure everybody who's experiencing something as awful as ALS has all of the information, the love and support that they need um, throughout this very challenging disease. Oh, Thank and you. Really quick before we only have a couple minutes, but Austin, what's going to be your vision with working with ALS? What roles do you want to take on? What challenges do you want to tackle? <clears throat> yeah, uh, um, so I, I want to really lead the charge uh, as a um, ALS patient who is an advocate who um, leverages experience and industry knowledge to challenge that um, the, the, the medical orthodoxy in many of these areas. And I think that um, INDU um, and the rest of the Everything ALS team has done a tremendous amount to to, to facilitate that process and really break down some of the initial barriers. And I know that as we continue to bring in folks who have the, the actual experience living with this disease, um, along with caregivers and, and loved ones who've experienced it um, firsthand, we're gonna be able to transform the landscape here. Beautiful. If there was one wish that you had for everything ALS, what would it be? Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's um, developing those partnerships with um, key opinion leaders, uh, healthcare professionals and patients across um, the spectrum and really becoming a leading player, influencer and, um, you know, change maker uh, within, um, within ALS, the treatment of ALS. Well, we're lucky to have you on board, Austin. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure to have you on our team. I think you you add so much and and you're going to be tons of fun to work with too. So that's important. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I feel the same way about you both. So. Well, there you have us, folks. There's a, a, a view into our teamwork. And this is what is going to bring about the big change because we brought the people together who have heart and soul, and we're not gonna stop even when we get old. So just wanna say thank you for joining us today. And to all of you who are watching this, thank you. Please spread the word that there is hope. And, and we really appreciate you just listening to our podcast and to all of our information because we do this because we do it from our heart because we want to make a difference and we want to make a difference for you so thank you for joining our team because we're all in this one together thank you thanks for joining us in our journey of exploration and digging deep into the souls of those affected by als and those working tirelessly to help put an end to this devastating disease. Your stories and work matter so much to us and to so many. Keep sharing 
and continuing to help further the research in ALS so we don't have to see another person suffer. Do you know anyone suffering from ALS? Are you a researcher, neurologist, pharma, or biotech company working in the ALS space? If so, we would love to hear from you. Contact us at info at everythingals.org. Thank you, folks. 